king and we want him now. We want a king and we want him now. We want a king. And we're here with Civil Discourse. This is not a safe space. Not a safe space. Oh, welcome back. Welcome back. It's so good to be here. Uh, hope hope you've had a great week. And, uh, you know, I, I think that we've been just gingerly stepping around things lately. You know that? Well, it's it's so much more pleasant when the conversation is pleasant. But, you know, sometimes the world offers some some challenging stuff that we should probably dig into. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know, it's funny because I, I, I look at politics as a spectator sport and I, I watch what's going on. And I, I chuckle because, you know, I've been around a couple of decades, as you're apt to remind me on a regular basis, a couple of de- decades longer than you have, as you're apt to remind me on a pretty regular basis. That reminds and, me, I, I did pick up your uh, your case of insurer. It arrived at the house. <laughs> and, my, and my Geritol, I hope. <laughs> so so anyway, yes, yes, because I'll be up there for Christmas holidays. But but yes, we, we, we you know, you remind me often how much older I am than you. And, and I laugh because of what is old is new again. And, and so I thought I'd, I'd, I'd play a fun game with you today. So I'm going to read some things to you. And I just want you to guess when and maybe who these these statements involve. Uh, the first one, I don't have any direct quotes, but it says, when the votes were counted, it appeared that candidate A had garnered a few hundred thousand more votes than candidate B. But results were unclear in three states where both where both parties claimed victory and alleged tampering. The states convened dueling electoral slates and sent conflicting returns to Congress. A- any guess of, of a, let's say, just a general year, plus or minus 10? Uh, I'm not sure, uh, but but it, it seems to me that's probably uh, Hillary and, and Donald. No, this was 1876, uh, Rutherford B. Hayes versus, uh, I think it's Samuel Tilden. Hayes won the election. The way he won the election was uh, there was a compromise made where essentially the Democrats said, okay, we'll let you win your presidential election if you pull out the uh, martial law in the South. So so that was kind of the compromise of 1876, which, of course, suppressed black votes for 100 years afterwards. So uh, probably not a good compromise for some of the residents of the South uh, to make a huge understatement. If nobody's happy, it's probably a good compromise, right? Except that the poor black voters were immediately suppressed. And so it it, it, coming back to bite us in the butt 90 years later. Uh, There was an election I'm not going to have a quote from that again happened uh, where uh, Grover Cleveland was basically stolen. His home state was stolen from him uh, in, in about 10 years after this one. And so he lost his reelection campaign. And that's why when you look at the president's chart, he he pops up twice. And uh, what was going on there was uh, you could buy votes uh, and it was not illegal. And all those were public. So you had to stand up and say, I, Michael Koeniger, from whatever my address is, hereby vote for John Kerry in the election. Mm-hmm. And and that vote would be recorded as a, a, a uh, vote once I stated it publicly who I was voting for. And so the consequence of that election where, where uh, voters were literally selling their votes off uh, was uh, to, to go to the secret ballot. So. I didn't get a good quote on that one, but I, I found that one to be quite interesting. That is interesting. So he, here we go. We have another one. We have uh, voter fraud in this county certainly wasn't unheard of, uh, but did Republicans have a case? So I, I've tipped the hand and told you at least what party. And according to scholars, the answer was yes, but also no. And then it goes on to say that uh, the candidate was cheated out of electoral votes as a consequence. So what year do you think? And if you know the candidate, uh, go ahead and guess. I want to say, um, was that Bush Jr.? No, that's Richard Nixon. Richard Nixon, really? 1960 okay. against Kennedy. It, it was one of the narrowest elections of, of, of in U.S. history where uh, roughly 100,000 votes separated the two candidates in the national election. I remember that, yeah. Yeah, so... Um, I found that to be interesting. So I had to dig back because uh, I I didn't want to make it appear uh, that I was being biased. uh, But 
Democratic candidates have lost more close elections in recent history than Republican candidates have. So I'm gonna I'm gonna play around now with with the last uh, oh we'll call it last thirty years. So I've narrowed you in, and, okay. and now you can tell me who the candidate is. Candidate A claimed he would have won if every vote in the state had been counted, and that he absolutely believed he would be president again after the ordered recount. Well, it sounds like Trump. But it would be Al Gore in 2000 talking about Florida. <laughs> so, again? So, well, I added again to fool you. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I was listening. That's what that was. <laughs> Very good for you for listening. But I, I had to add the again, otherwise I knew you'd guess Gore. So I cheated. I cheated like they cheated in the – no, I'm teasing. <laughs> I, I, my electoral votes didn't count there. I'm teasing. Oh, anyway, um, let's see. Uh, I've got a, I've got a two, three more here. Uh, there were voting irregularities on election day, long lines, voting machine breakdowns, shortages of provisional ballots, and some people are now leveling charges of voter fraud. Oh, that sounds awfully familiar. Um, uh, uh, Hillary. No, that would be Kerry versus Bush. Okay. <laughs> so this one I know you're going to get. He is, he is an illegitimate president and he knows it. He stole this presidential election. Uh, Barack Obama. <laughs> you're, now you're just not playing. <laughs> you know who that was. That's Hillary Clinton. <laughs> so, And then, then the, the final one is 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 our boy, <laughs> yes, I'm teasing. Tremendous mm. evidence pouring in on voter fraud. There has never been anything like this in our country. And I, I, I took that particular quote because I've just proven this stuff always goes on in our country. And that was Trump in 2020. So well, the word tremendous kind of gave it away. But <laughs> yes. Sure. Yeah. I, 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 <laughs> I saw some years ago, quick sidebar, I saw some hippie surfer who had a perfect Trump imitation. And he would do, oh, those waves were gnarly. It was tremendous waves. I'm the most tremendous surfer of all time. And it was just a hoot. So maybe if I can find that link, I'll put it on our webpage for this episode. But all right. So I, I did want to talk a bit about elections and, and the constant accusations regarding election fraud. But uh, I think I've demonstrated, I hope, that, that both sides pretty regularly do when they lose. And I found that to be very interesting. So just wanted to hear your initial thoughts after I played this little game with you with six interesting little tidbits there. It's, it's an interesting thing because I, do, I don't think there's any question that election fraud is not a new concept, um, legitimate uh, manipulation. And obviously with your little quiz there, you've more than shown us a number of, of examples where if not the legitimate fraud, certainly the accusation of it uh, was was a, a normal uh, response to losing. Um, and it's interesting because it, I haven't done the research to the level that probably could be done, but it would be interesting to know what of those accusations that were levied were based in some real provable, uh, I, you know, facts of of fraudulent happenings. Um, because a lot of times it seems like there's not a whole lot to really be specific at pointing at, or if there are the numbers and percentage wise are so small that it becomes somewhat laughable. But then you talk about the Kennedy Nixon election, which was already so close. And we had the same thing when was it Kerry and Bush, where it was days after the, the election and the Gore, that was Gore Bush. Gore that was, Bush. Thank you. Gore Bush. Yeah. Um, and, uh, they, you know, it, it, it took forever. And then ultimately it landed in Florida and then the Supreme court stepped in. Right. Um, and we had the whole hanging Chad thing and all this other business. And, you know, it, it does become something of a, a toss up sometimes it seems, which is probably a dangerous way to perceive it. Right. <laughs> it is, it is. And, and, uh, you know, it, and by the way, voter fraud is real. Uh, voting fraud is real. Uh, I went hunting around. Now, now I would argue it's negli negligible. But yes. um, there were there were 1400 proven incidents of voter fraud this year, according to one website I found 1400. 
and you can click on it and it, it, they show the actual criminal convictions. You can look at the criminal convictions by state. So, so we'll pick on the state of Connecticut just for the sake of this argument. Uh, and so in the state of Connecticut, uh, fraudulent use of an absentee ballot, that seems to be a pretty, pretty big one. Uh, false registration, which probably means a, a non-citizen registering to vote. Uh, you know, it's it's ballot petition fraud where someone has filled in a ballot, a ballot petition to put someone on the ballot with people who didn't actually sign it. Uh, someone voting uh, who is ineligible. So these are all just little, you know, ones and two cases of, of folks who, who did indeed get convicted of um, voter fraud. So it does happen. It absolutely does happen. Um, but I think the key that you said, which I completely agree with, is when you look at the um, hundreds of millions of, of votes that we're talking about, on a national election at least, um, state, state to state, it may uh, vary, but even then you're still talking you know, hundreds of thousands. Um, the, the, the effect of such fraud I, I have to believe that kind of fraud, at least, that is more individual-based as opposed to systemic, uh, is is fairly negligible. Um, and a lot of times, these accusations that we're talking about, uh, you know, going all the way back to some of those early examples you, from the 1800s you, you mentioned, again, of course, the numbers were very different, I suppose, in those elections. We didn't have the population we have now. Um, but it's hard to imagine that it made that much of a, uh, of a difference in the, in the overall outcome. Um, what's interesting, and this is where I think a lot of times the, the left and right leaning perspective may differ. I, I could be wrong, but we'll find out here and now. To me, when we talk about fraud, I'm talking about uh, large scale disenfranchisement or the effort there. And I wanted to talk about that. It's funny that that you brought this up when you did. I, I was listening, to, actually listening to NPR on the way home this morning, uh, and they were talking about disenfranchisement. And there's some sincere questions I want to ask, if if you don't mind, because I'd like to hear the other side's argument. And, and I'm going to start with one where one of the commentators, it was one of these roundtable shows that NPR has, so I, I don't know what it was called. Uh, and... Uh, the gentleman was talking about in Texas, you can use a concealed carry permit as ID to vote, but you can't use a student ID. And he thought that was a um, inconsistent standard. And, and my immediate thought was, and, and maybe this is knowing more than I should, was, well, you can't have a concealed carry permit unless you're a U.S. citizen. Uh, but you can have a student ID if you're not a U.S. citizen. So I, I wanted to talk a little about the disenfranchisement and maybe how we perceive it, if you don't mind. Well, it's it's certainly something that's up for um, debate. Is not the word that really is 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 best because I think your response to that right there, uh, as an example, to me that's there's not much of a debate there. The question is, what is the substance of the ID we're asking for? And you're right. When you talk about um, a, a gun permit, uh, then there is a certain citizenship that is indicative of that permit. If a, if a student ID does not offer that same verification, I, being the tree-hugging left representative of this conversation, don't have a problem with that. Um, oh, you just you just made them all mad. <laughs> but I think that the idea that we still have this debate over what is and is not legitimate ID with respect to a citizen and standing is sort of absurd. Why is this still a question? Um, if you know, obviously, not everybody has a driver's license. The fact that you may not drive should not be a reason why right, you can't right. vote. But then we do need to, in some fashion, have a, a an understood uh, ID. Or there is a list of IDs that are acceptable. If you don't have a driver's license, then you have a, you know, I, now they're talking about making, what is it called, a real ID? Right, right. And I actually turned it down when I went and got my last driver's license because I have a passport. Uh, but real ID meets the standards of a passport and that you can use it to travel. Which, of course, a lot of people don't have passports. Right. 
So, but you know, it, it would seem to me it's a fairly simple solution, and and that's probably always the trap that we fall into when things seem simple. But if you have a a list of, you know, three to five whatever they are ID versions of ID that meet the the necessary criteria of legitimizing the, the proof of your citizenship, um, residence, whatever it is that, that we want to hear, then if you show up with that, that's the end of it. And I do struggle with, I, I do frankly think there's nothing wrong with showing an ID. Um, and if you are a participant in our society in good standing, it's hard to imagine you don't have any ID at all. Um, but this has been a major problem for quite a while, so it must not be as simple as I'm perceiving it. I think it's a remnant of times gone past, and 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 so since since you know me being the right wing capitalist jackal that I am, uh, I I have to say that voter suppression was real and happened all the time, uh, probably prior to 1965, and I'm being generous here. Uh, it may have been after that. And so there were, I think, legalized, legalized suppression. Yes, legalized suppression. And so the use of uh, specific ID was a tool that was used to suppress voters. And consequently, and by the way, uh, Republicans, it was used to suppress Republican voters, uh, particularly in the South, because black communities in the South prior to the election of uh, Lyndon Johnson historically voted Republican. And so. it, it was a, that is a real historical fact. So I'm sorry, that's not a Virginia driver's license. That's and I'm just making something up out of out of it thin air. That is a Virginia identification card, and the law only allows Virginia driver's licenses. I'm sorry, Mr. Jones, you can't vote. Uh, that was real. That happened. Well, it 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 happened, and and I would say without. Now, putting too much lipstick on a pig here. I mean, it was very much geared towards, uh, you know, members of the black community, though not a lo- not only. I mean, there were certainly other groups that uh, were discriminated against, um, but it wasn't just license and, and, and or, or, or ID. It was all kinds of different things. Oh, sure. Citizenship tests that were administered to one community and not another, uh, whether there, it be black or, or immigrants. Or, you know, how many jelly yeah. beans are in this jar. I mean, every all kinds of ridiculous thing to um, disprove your worthiness to cast a vote and all this other stuff. Um, and, you know, that to me is systemic disenfranchisement. And that certainly was a far greater and more legitimate issue than some, than an individual's or a handful of individuals who, you know, put in a false uh, voter ID or something like this. Um, as we talk about it in terms of today. Um, I think that a lot of what has been in the news recently in modern versions of this has been based on in certain communities uh, that often are based on race, the impression that uh, certain requirements of ID and circumstances of, of availability for voting have been manipulated to try and limit the access to the polls. Um, you know, closing down all locations but one somewhere that so people don't can't get there or things of this sort. Now, I will admit first before you get to call it out that a lot of this is what I've heard through the media based on uh, you know reports written or, or uh, uh, televised or on radio or whatnot. Um, I have not personally experienced that, and I've been a voter in uh, Massachusetts, California, and Connecticut, but these aren't exactly the states that the majority of these accusations are being levied in. When I voted, I voted mostly across the South with rare exception. I've never seen it. I am in minority-majority districts right now. I live in a minority-majority district. I've lived in minority-majority districts most of my time in the South, to be honest. Uh, and, and so I've never experienced it or seen it. That doesn't mean it doesn't happen. I just haven't seen it. But it's interesting you brought that up because, you know, those are the accusations swirling around right now about Maricopa County in Arizona is that Republican polls were, were shut down or had problems with their machines and, and Democratic polls districts did not have the same problems. Now, 
I don't know the veracity of that, uh, but but I have read those reports coming out. And, and as you point out, it's not an uncommon trick. It, it, it does happen in certain areas from time to time. By the way, it's not a Southern phenomenon. As you know, it's also been known to happen in Illinois. So it's, it's one of those things where uh, basically blue-collar towns, it seems to happen, and oftentimes. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I find it interesting so I think that kind of fraud is so obvious that that it's used very carefully by sides that are trying to influence elections. What do you think? Well, it seems obvious to me as I'm sitting there listening about it and hearing it and saying that in these communities they've shut down or in this county they've made only one place where you can vote or cast your vote or absentee ballots can only be dropped in this one box in the entirety of the state or things of this. It's so absurd in, in, in its concept that it, it's almost hard to believe. Um, and, and like you say, I mean, it's blatant. So, you know, if it's happening for real, if, if these are not false reports of, of that kind of manipulation, it is outrageous. Of course, uh, it's it's <laughs> that it would happen at all, let alone in the year twenty twenty anything. Frankly, <laughs> well, <laughs> there have been technological ideas of how to improve voting and using technology to track votes so that your vote can't be mislaid, or you can always make sure your vote was counted. I, I think uh, states are very hesitant to use new technology because it smacks of uh, being manipulated. Um, well, it's true there are technologies, but I think that in in a lot of the cases the what wasn't broke was made broken. Um and again, if you're in a state any state that or any county or however large and of course as you go southwest or whatnot, counties can get pretty darn big, uh, Texas and so forth. Um if if you make it so that only one place in the entirety of that area will is is a legal place to drop your absentee or your whatever ballot so that people all over that space cannot uh, get there well that's called disenfranchisement um if you've created only you know only one location where people can actually go physically you know take the vote and so now you're asking all sorts of people, elderly and, and so forth, to stand in lines for hours and hours on end just to cast a vote. I mean, how is this possibly allowed? There's, there's no question that that is a form of manipulation and disenfranchisement. Oh, and certainly. Use. So now, now I do have to call I do have to call a quick timeout. We have to, to, to admit here a very East Coast bias because you mentioned it a few moments ago. Uh, some of those Western counties are huge. And, and I met a sheriff's deputy from, I think she was from Texas, West yeah. Texas. Her count, or She wasn't a deputy. She was actually the elected sheriff. And her county was bigger than the state of Rhode Island, her entire, her, her county. Yeah. And her, her county population was like 3,000. And so in a county like that with only 3,000 residents, you may have to drive an hour to vote. Legitimately so. But my guess is there won't be much of a line when you get there. <laughs> Probably not. No, 3,000 residents. But but I did want to just, before we got too far down, we, we acknowledge that some of those Western counties or Alaska or, or the, we understand that distance is, is, a, is a legitimate issue and not necessarily a form of manipulation. So I, I just wanted to pause there and point that out. No. Um, however, there is, you know, obviously there are places where there are certain except, exceptional circumstances. But why then is the mail-in ballot not, you know, why does why does that become an unacceptable form in certain arguments? I wonder if there's not a distrust there. And I may even share that distrust. And uh, if you'd like, I, I can try to articulate it. Well, you can articulate it, but as far as I know, it's a legitimate form as long as it's done in the correct way of of casting a vote, especially for those. It is, and it was, it. and you know, I was in the military for twenty years, and it's the only way I could vote was was to vote through through absentee ballots. Yeah. Uh, and, and at that time, you had to have a a uh, articulable reason of why you needed to vote absentee. And of course, military service overseas or military service out of state was always an acceptable reason. 
Um, but it, it also caused issues in that, well, I think what's become a more recent issue is that we've opened up mail-in ballots to pretty much everybody. Uh, and the concern that I have is we don't know who's filling in those ballots. The 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 system, when everybody got, like everybody gets a ballot in a state in, in the 2020 election, there were states where the, every, every registered voter got a ballot, including me, by the way, here in Virginia. And, and I was reading an article in Time Magazine where they talked about uh, the secret bipartisan shadow campaign that saved the 2020 election and called it a conspiracy. And this is not some fly-by-night website. This is The Time magazine, the one we all see in the newsstand. And and it was all about, this article goes on and on about how using absentee ballots secured the election. And and I found that term secured the election interesting. Um, and, And so... I think I'm just a little distrustful of the idea of, of mail-in ballots. And then there have been videotapes of folks dropping off a couple hundred mail-in ballots at, at boxes uh, collecting. I don't know the veracity of those videos, if they're they're true or not, but I'm a little skeptical. I'll, I'll be real honest. I don't oh. I struck you. I struck you silent. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, I just I'm choosing my words wisely here. I I guess I don't have an issue with the the idea of of questioning it, but then another solution must be made capable because obviously there are circumstances. You in the military, I lived overseas for six years. Right. I wasn't jumping on a plane to go vote. Of course not. <laughs> in some cases, I was in the country in advance of a coming election and I was able to go down to my town hall and physically vote in, uh, you know, early, early voting. Um, and I did it right there in front of the clerk of the town. Um, and it just, it, it went, uh, into whatever their system was. And that was that. Um, but we do have to, if you are a citizen in good standing of this nation, you have a right to have a vote. And if you wish to cast that vote, then I believe very strongly it needs to be made uh, possible for you to do so. And in some cases, now, I'm not making excuses, let me be clear, for the lazy. And I think we all know who we're talking about, who can't be bothered. Um, But if you are of a situation, whether it be a handicap, an age, an elderliness, or whatever it is, that driving three and a half hours and then standing for four and a half hours in a line uh, in the heat or rain or whatever it is, or freezing cold in some cases, I, I don't see that as an acceptable alternative uh, to whatever questions I may have with mail-in or absentee or whatever it is, um, options. So I don't want to discredit your, and, and you're probably, I would imagine, plenty of people share your skepticism, but then we have to come up with a viable solution because, I'm sorry, my grandmother absolutely has the right to have her vote counted, even if she's bedridden. If her of heart- course, of course yeah. she does. And I don't think <laughs> I'm not arguing that I'm sure maybe other folks would. The question I think becomes is, did your grandmother actually count, cast that ballot or did her no nurse? Argument. And, and yeah. I don't know what, but to me, then come on in the year 2022, there must be, uh, well, there is. Saying that, I'm, I'm pausing. Yeah. I know so much technology can be used to manipulate visual images and everything else. Um, but, you know, if, you know, here's an idea, random idea for somebody who's not a techophile. Uh, what if we could vote through our phone and just like uh, the security apparatus on our phone, there is a biometric uh, detail, whether it's a thumbprint or some previously set up system that you have to physically, you know, it reads your iris, it reads your your fingerprint, whatever. And having been government approved, uh, for whatever that's worth, then <laughs> you, can, uh, you can then, you know, cast your vote through the phone. Well, and this is this is an example where you and I are closer than folks thought when I asked that or I, I first started this argument. I agree. I, I think if if there's a blockchain tag on on my vote and, and we verified my vote through some biometric or or witnesses or whatever the standard may be, that that is my vote, and then I can use blockchain to make sure my vote is tabulated. 
I have no problem with that. I, I truly don't. Now, uh, here's, now, here's where I'm going to provide some skepticism. Because, you know, uh, several people who are close to me who will remain unnamed uh, work in the technology world. And uh, they have often espoused the absolute confidence in the legitimacy of computer technology and safeties and backups. Uh, I think in one of our previous uh, episodes, I was on record as saying, yeah, I don't buy it. Um, I still want to know that I can feed and clothe and warm my and house myself when the lights go out. Right, right. <laughs> well, and I'm I'm mixed because, you know, I, I, I'm one of those people that is close to you that works in technology. Yes, I know. <laughs> and uh, so so I, I'm mixed. I, I think there are technology, technological ways to ensure that it's one vote per person. And to ensure oh, exactly, here's the thing: whatever those questions I and doubts I may have in the manipulability of the technology, well, how is that any worse than the questions and doubts that people have about our current system? Oh well, and that, there you go. And, and of course, Stalin wasn't it? Stalin who said that it doesn't matter who votes; it matters who counts the votes. Right. Uh, so well, that's uh, a standard we all want to live up to. So no, but but the point I think being that to your point, yes, there you can manipulate technology, but you can also manipulate elections or else I wouldn't have been able to cite arguments that go back into the mid 19th century regarding elections. Uh, so, so it's kind of like, uh, you know, how, how did you like your manipulation before technology? So it's, it's, but, but I think you're to your point, I think being able to vote in person uh, and having that vote counted as well is, is equally important in ensuring that the system remains free and open to everyone. Uh, I may have forgotten to vote before election day by ballot, by paper ballot, mail-in ballot. I still want to be able to run down to the polls and vote on election day because in my house, we always go vote on election day. Uh, so, and by the way, that's the way I grew up. I, I remember going to the polls with my dad when I was oh, a little boy and watching him vote. Hanging on my mom's leg while we, she went to sure. or, or whatever the case. Mommy, what are we doing here? You know, We're voting. <laughs> And in you know, this, I don't, this is not what this conversation's about, so I don't want to steer us off the road here, but I think it's worth just simply touching on th that is a value, whatever you may think of the state of politics, the value of our politicians, the legitimacy or illegitimacy of our parties, all this other stuff, I still stand by all that removed. Our country is founded on the principle of, of the individuals having a say in in our in our government and our leadership and whatever and I'm speaking for myself here um, but I don't think I'm alone whatever the difficulties and challenges are I feel very strongly that it is important we still exercise that fundamental right um, in this country, because if you if you don't, then it's not America. That that is what makes this America, um, at least in that particular regard. Um, and you know, as a person of color, and and I know a lot of people don't agree with me. This uh, I feel that you know, too many people before me sacrificed far too much and suffered far too much for me to disrespect that. Uh, uh, sacrifice by treating it, you know, simply dismissing uh, the the privilege I have uh, to exercise that right because of those sacrifices. And I'm talking about people like yourself who picked up arms, and I'm talking about people who stood there and got washed down the street with water cannons. Or worse. Or worse. Yeah. And I'm just, to me, I can't possibly conceive of not honoring that sacrifice by exercising that right. And as far as I'm concerned, my son will be raised with that exact same example uh, and lesson, which I learned from my parents. And I raised, I raised my, my older sons that way. And I'm going to raise this little boy if, if we're blessed to be able to have him stay with us uh, the same way as well. And he will see his papa vote. And he will see his Mimi vote. And, and I think it's important to understand that participation in democracy or representational republic, I self-corrected, is yeah. important. Yeah, what, it's uh, 
Represent? No, there's another term. Uh, Constitutional republic. republic. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, so regardless, I think that is important. Uh, and particularly, and I've said this in multiple episodes, and I'm going to keep banging on this topic, particularly in local elections where it has the most impact on you. Which ironically <laughs> is also where most people are the least participatory. Which, and that drives me nuts. So, so they're worried, and, and particularly if you start getting in states like uh, Idaho, they're more worried about someone 2,800 miles away than they are the guy two and a half miles away. <laughs> Well, this is called marketing, my friend. <laughs> you know, Nancy Pelosi isn't driving through your neighborhood to make sure you don't have a car on three wheels in your she driveway. Is. Yes, she is. <laughs> or, she is personally in my driveway attacking me. And, and, and I'm trying to find someone from the Mitch McConnell's not doing it either. So, <laughs> you know, I, 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 now, I am, now, now, having said that, everything we just said and all the righteousness we just preached is not in any way a, con a comment on who is a, is is on the ballot at any particular. No, level. no, no, no. It's because not. God knows we could have you know many complaints legitimately about that. But well, hey, you know that, that's a that's a fair comment, and I don't want to go down that path because maybe we ought to talk about uh, 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 the in a future episode to talk about the abridged and very short idea of political candidacy that one of the co-hosts on this podcast had. Uh, when the other co-host was still a child in high school. So I kind of tipped my hand there. But, but anyway, uh, no, I, I well, think. Youthful, youthful, uh, Mike. <laughs> I think the quality of candidate is a separate discussion that we probably certainly should have. And particularly in light of this recent election uh, where the so-called red wave ended up being. And by the way, I will argue it was a red wave, but people are looking at it wrong. Uh, but where the sort of red wave was really kind of a red ripple. And so, uh, you know, it wasn't, Paul, nothing. it wasn't nothing. It wasn't nothing. The other thing I want to point out, and I think I may have said this to you in a conversation, a private conversation we had, there was a red wave. It happened in Florida and it happened in Texas and it happened to all the states where people left blue states and moved to red states. And so, uh, just as an example, and, and it's not an, an, a singular example. Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, won his previous election by 0.4% of the vote. This most recent one, it was like 19.6. He won by 19.6 points in the election. That's a red wave. It just happened in Florida. So uh, I, I think a lot of states where they thought this red wave was going to happen, New York, lost traditionally Republican voters. Thoughts on that idea? Yeah. <laughs> you don't have any thoughts or or you think maybe i'm out to lunch no I, you know the numbers are the numbers um i think that we are in this very strange um uh neo-migration that is you know the the basis of it is not that confusing but the results of it are still very modular um and, you know, as you say, a lot of people are leaving uh, areas, you know, states like California and whatnot, where there, there are a lot of legitimate reasons for their gripe. But what's interesting is, in some cases, people are living for, leaving for political reasons. Um, in other places, they're leaving for financial reasons. In some yes, cases. economics, absolutely. And the, you know, I think there's a deeper research that has to go into understanding the effects of that. Um, because if people are moving to Texas because they can't afford to live in California, it doesn't necessarily mean they're moving there because the politics are what they want. Um, and, and vice versa, you know, that that's not a, a blanketed statement. So, you know, what does that mean? Um, what does that mean for, you know, states that are being left? What does that mean for the states that people are coming into? Most people moving to Florida uh, are less interested. I can't, no, I shouldn't say that uh, too generally. A lot of people moving to Florida are not moving there because they want the weather, even though that is a thing. But, you know, because of the tax differences and so forth, especially from some of these, you know, liberal uh, northeastern states and so forth. Um, but and before they think that, that my before they think my left leaning friend is picking on liberal states, 
when you look at the least tax states, Delaware, which is considered, I think, to be at least a very light blue state, is in that bottom five for total taxes. So they are one of the least tax states in the country. I'm not seeing Delaware, though, getting that big influx of population, <laughs> though you and I both know someone who just recently moved there. Um, yeah, not 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 you know for the reasons that these other people are like. <laughs> right, right. But I think your point is a lot of folks left New York and moved to the East Coast of Florida during COVID because they wanted to get out of that New York situation uh, economically and politically, where they they weren't able to work. And of course, Florida was letting people work. Uh, I, I still want to know who's not an essential worker, but that's another conversation for another podcast. Um, but but. And same thing with California. I think there were not just, as you pointed out, not just political pressures, but economic pressures to get out of California. I also think people that are moving to states like Florida and Texas are well aware that the political system that exists there may not be exactly what they believe, but did lead to the climate that allowed them to move there. Thoughts on that idea? I think that's a variable concept. Um and and we have certain states, and Texas is one of them, where you you could do a whole you know doctoral analysis on. Well, it's a big it's a big state. <laughs> yeah, and there are, you know it you have a lot of diverse population, um, a lot of entrenched ideology, a lot of empty land, um, and you know it's it's interesting because we've talked about this. Uh, a lot of the states that are perceived as being cheaper tax-wise, we'll just pick on that one. Well, here's the question. What tax are we talking about? Right. And you have to be well aware of that. Yeah. Um, because, yes, you may not have the income tax, but what are your property taxes? You may, you know, you may not have the, the property taxes, but what are your sales taxes? There are elements. Look, the state's going to get theirs. <laughs> I mean, it's as simple as that. It's true that not every state is as expensive to run as others, or they choose not to, to run it at that high price. But you're going to pay, and it's just a question of where do you want to see it go. Um, for a lot of people, they like the preference of a sales tax because I can choose not to buy a lot of products beyond what I need, um, but I can't choose not to earn money um, or, or have a house or whatever, unless you're renting, I guess. Um, but, you know, these are much larger debates. I'm giving a very broad and, and, and narrow. Uh, I, and and in the light of politics, though, I do think it's important, you know, and that's why I think total tax burden needs to be something people consider when they make these decisions. And and, I, and just an anecdotal example is I, I was talking to a friend of mine who left New Hampshire to go to Texas because the taxes in New Hampshire were so high. And I found that interesting because, first off, New Hampshire doesn't have an income tax or sales tax. But to your point, they get their money from somewhere. And where New Hampshire gets their money is in property tax. They have the second highest property tax in the United States. But when it comes to total taxes, total taxes, uh, one being the highest total tax in, in the country, 50 being the lowest, New Hampshire's number 46. Now, where would Texas be on that list? And I'll let you guess as I scroll up. Where do you think Texas is? I don't think it's as cheap as people like to market it as. I think you're I right. <laughs> no, Texas is in the middle. It's 32. Yeah, it's number 32. Mark, <laughs> Virginia, though, where I am, is 34. <laughs> so, uh, well, and, and of course, and everybody has their priorities. I, you know, for me personally, I am much more interested in what my taxes are getting me. Um, right. Than I mean, obviously, I have to be able to afford to be able to be somewhere. But um, if if I'm paying, you know, <laughs> I there are areas of roads in upstate New York that I would be outraged to be paying the taxes they pay for the quality of the no, number one, by the way, in total tax, New York, uh, where you are is number seven. And and uh, you have much better roads, by the way, I, I can attest to that. Again, as a voter, though, these these are things we all need. And I'm just trying to wrap us back around to our initial conversation. I, I think. uh you know, it, it's one of these things where uh, you should be voting because if I'm in New York, I, I, I think you need to demand some accountability from your elected legislators about why the roads in most of upstate are just terrible. Not all, but most. <laughs> well, look, I, I, a, a wise man once said the decisions are made by those who show up. And 
that's a simplification. It's obviously a little bit more complicated than that, but I think it's a good place to start. And showing up can also take a lot of different forms. Voting is certainly one of them. But, you know, how, when's the last time you attended, you, the listener? Um, uh, but us, too. I suppose we should hold ourselves to the standard, attended a town meeting or a school board. I, I try to attend at least once a year as a matter of practice. Yeah. Uh, and, and part of that, though, is, again, remember, I still consider myself an example for my former students. And, and so as a guy who taught government, I think it's important to show up either to, to town hall or, or, or whatever it is in your community, or at least the school board meeting. Yeah. Um, so, but, you know, election time is an interesting time. And I think, you know, it's, it's a different uh, episode, which is coming by the way. Um, I think that depending on how you choose to look at the results of certain elections, I think you can learn a lot about what is real in the politics uh, of our society. Um Whereas a lot of times, you know, you hear a lot of noise, but then when the election happens, eh, people really didn't support that or show their support against it the way that all the racket went. <laughs> I, I find it interesting because it, it's amazing to me how a year makes such a huge difference in, in the way the media reports on things. Uh, so, you know, when the Virginia elections happened, uh, a state that was a hard blue state at a state level, not a, not at a local level, but at a state level, Basically, all the incumbents in our state government were that party was tossed out. And so the House of Delegates here in Virginia, the state Senate, the governor, the lieutenant governor and, and the uh, state's attorney all flipped to the other party. And I, I listened to the Republicans ranting and raving how we won on the abortion issue. We won on this issue. We won on that issue. Uh, Virginians have rejected the progressive policies of, of the prior incumbents. And I, I, I shook my head and, and I really thought they were tone deaf on this, this idea. Um, it wasn't Republican ideas that won. It wasn't Democrat ideas that lost. What lost was the idea that parents shouldn't have a way, a, a voice in the education of their children. And the current occupancy, uh, occupant of the governor's mansion here in Virginia campaigned almost exclusively on that issue, that, that parents should have a say and what's being taught to their children in school. And, and I would argue that that's a nonpartisan issue. That's not a Republican issue or, or a Democratic issue. I think you can find plenty of people on both sides that think, yes, I should have a voice in how my kids are getting taught. <laughs> so you know, it's, it's funny. Um, and this is another podcast, so we won't, we won't dig too deeply in. But I, I vehemently agree and disagree with that. And, and, he, and it's funny because I, I'll give an example. I think that there are certain households that would, you know, I'll, I'll pick an extreme, absolutely would have a problem with the way we uh, approach the education of our history vis-a-vis uh, -vis race relations in this country. And frankly, I don't want a child in the school system to not learn about that because their parent may not want them to learn about it. Um, or want them to learn only a small portion of it or a, a certain aspect or perspective of it. Um, so this is where I think that it's important that there be a higher voice engaged in some of these larger social education issues. On the other hand, and I, again, I'm speaking for myself, um, I have a real problem with the way my son is learning math in school. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 it borders on utter absurdity to me um, and dysfunction. And I don't want to, uh, I, I can't simply just call up the school and say, my son is going to learn it this way and you will test him accordingly. I mean, there are larger uh, forces at work here. But in a way, I really wish I could. Because mm. I just don't think that this new system, and I'm picking one subject, I could go into a lot more detail on many subjects, but I don't find this new system to be uh, productive, effective. And I'm sure lots of educators and other authorities would find re many reasons to disagree with me and prove me wrong. But uh, I still believe that two and two is four, at least at a third grade level. <laughs> well, and, and I think that that to your point, 
again, is is voters are going to hold folks accountable. You know, this happened in the middle of COVID. A lot of people saw how their children were being educated because the kid was sitting in the office sure. at, the, at the end of their desk with the computer on and said, wait a minute here. This is this isn't what I, my tax dollars go to. And they voted. Uh, you know, I I. I think the you know there you're to your point there are people that that don't want their kid their children to learn real so, events in history. Yeah. But most of those kids have already been pulled out and are being homeschooled anyway. I I think these are the middle 60%. What's that? You think that's true? If you're that extreme probably. Yeah, I wouldn't and I'll make my statement based on what I've witnessed up here in in southern New England. Yeah, I wouldn't say that's the case at all. I mean, my really? town literally drove, ran out, not my hometown, my current town, literally drove the previous superintendent out of town. Uh, <sighs> and and it, was a, a, it was a combination of a minority, a very loud minority, uh, espousing uh, issues with this whole, you know, uh, uh, educate, don't indoctrinate the... Uh, Shoot, what's it called? I'm suddenly uh, losing. Uh, race. Critical race, critical, critical race, race theory. theory. And, okay, and I was this sort of stuff, and and I, there's a larger issue here, but it, it was a combination of a loud minority driving a, a a train that a quiet majority did not stand in opposition effectively to. He he also made some statements that were probably less than. Uh, he could have been a little wiser in what he was saying. Well, I read some interesting various points. But of, of course, but the result I, I, was not commensurate with any action, as far as I'm concerned, on his part. I'm not arguing that, but he, you know, calling Trump deplorables or trying to run me out of the state uh, or out of my job, I, I found that to be a little. And again, I, I only heard about this through you, so I went and did some research because I was just curious what all went on. And you're right, it was a mess. It was an absolute mess. And he was a neat guy, by the way. A lot of fo our listeners may have actually seen him because he gave the kids a snow day in the middle of COVID so they would go out and play in the snow. And I thought that was a hoot. His video was just fun. Yeah. Uh, and um, he seemed to be a really neat guy. So I'm not attacking him personally. I think he just didn't play the politics appropriately. Uh, well, I mean, the again, not to make this episode about this, but the, he simply did not put a halt to certain directions that his predecessor right. uh, had already put things in. Right. And somehow they decided because his he was of color and his predecessor was not that uh well the great he is now the face of this movement and uh we can we can attack him. he was the scapegoat he really was and, and it was a shame that he became the scapegoat in this issue I, the I think point of it is is people did not pull their kids out of the classroom they drove the head educator of the community out of town and you know whatever we want to talk about who said what to whom or whatever that was the result and i you know, not everybody's going to be homeschooling their kids. Uh, so the homeschooling did skyrocket during COVID, and and uh, New York City reported a loss of a, a six figure loss of students that did, never came back to the system after COVID. Well, I, yes, COVID is is sort of an odd duck in in this whole conversation. But if we're talking simply for uh, socio political motivations. <laughs> and of course, we have gone way down a rabbit hole. My my point simply was, I don't think the Republicans should have been doing their victory dance here in Virginia, <laughs> which is where I was going with this after they, they retook the gubernatorial, gubernatorial uh, elections and, and, and uh, state and, and state Senate and state delegates, House of Delegates. It, it was really a backlash uh, against uh, a candidate, by the way, Terry McAuliffe, who said that parents should not have, he said, Parents should not be telling teachers what they should teach. And that was such an extreme position, unlike your very measured position that you just articulated, that I think lots of Democrats said, uh, no, that's not the way it works either. So, um, well, and, and, and I would agree with that. It's just there is there are many shades of gray in that conversation. And, you know, you can't demand as so many modern educators do that the parents be engaged with their kids education and say then in the next breath but don't 
you don't get to have a say in how it goes. Right. Um, on the other hand, I, you know, ignorance comes in many forms and some of those forms are parents. I remember I was a professional educator for a decade. And we'll cover it. Yeah. I was a professional educator for a decade. And while I had no problems with my, my parents, I, I could see where, uh, more affluent parents may be a bit more demanding, if you will. And, and so, uh, and I don't know that that's always in the best interest of the child. Uh, but again, uh, it, it's it, to your point, it's it's a gray issue. It's a shades of gray issue, not a black and white issue. And I think Terry McAuliffe, who, who was a political mastermind with the Clinton administration, badly misplayed his hand. In well, which, which should have been... That, that he should have come to us and said, "What do you think?" And we would well, have- we would have given him good advice, but but he did. <laughs> shame, shame, shame on him! And now he's probably a lobbyist in D.C. making millions, and not the governor making what one hundred and fifty thousand dollars, whatever the governor. Well, that's a lesson to you, listeners. Any of you who have political ambitions, you need to write into the show at civildiscoursetnss at gmail.com and we will guide you where you need to go. <laughs> yes, yes, we will, because we have put so many people in office in the past. But but anyway, I think I think we've probably talked this one through. I, I, I find it um, interesting. You know, I, I've always heard that um, that we didn't see eye to eye on these issues and, and we didn't really come up with a lot we disagree on, did we? Well... Shame on us. Sorry, folks. We've disappointed you again. Here on Civil Discourse, this is absolutely a safe space. It isn't a safe space because we did talk about some things that are going to anger some other folks. But but, um, once again, though, and I think this is important, going back to the thing I saw or listened to on NPR earlier, uh, the host was astounded that when they brought in libertarians, Republicans, and Democrats, that they had more common ground than they had disagreement. And I just sat and chuckled and said, hmm, they should have been listening to our show. So anyway. Well, I'm, I'm going to hearken back to our very first episode where I made the point that I'll make again here and now for those who have joined us since then. Um, I have been in almost every corner of the globe, and, and I know, Mike, you have as well. And my general impression is that 99.9% of us are just trying to get through our day feed our children, keep a roof over our heads, and get home alive. And if that's the majority of our purpose as a society, a global society, we have to have more in common than we're being told. Amen. Amen. And, and you know, the, the goal, I think, of almost every family out there is to provide a better life for their children than what they had. And uh, maybe your view of what that looks like and mine are different, but we still have the same goal. Yes. So, hey, I want to thank you, uh, Charles, for being here and, and having this conversation with me. And, and I, I appreciate your perspective always. I, I even appreciate when you disagree with me, even though you're wrong. Uh, I'm teasing. <laughs> but that wasn't for you, by the way. That was for the listeners who think I was being mean. But I do appreciate your, your point of view and your sharing uh, personal feelings regarding this particular subject, which is near and dear to your heart. I know that. And I want to thank our listeners for tuning in and hearing us again. If you're new to the show, please send us an email. And, and, and again, that was civildiscourse.tnss at gmail.com. This is not a safe space, TNSS. And we'd love to hear from you. And Charles, I know you have some other folks we need to thank. Well, as always, our first and foremost thank you goes to you, the listeners. Um, we are greatly appreciate, appreciative. Of, uh, of you spending your time with us. And uh, please, if you like the show, love the show, hate the show, despise the show, all is fine. Just make sure you go and uh, press that like button regardless. Uh, we want those five-star reviews. I want those five-star reviews. Thumbs ups or down as long as you represent them with stars. Uh, <laughs> give, give us those reviews. Uh, tell your friends. Write in and, 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 and offer your suggestions of what you'd like to hear us uh, get into and break down. Um, what has been your experience at the ballots? Have you seen some of these concerning issues? Have you had difficulty uh, getting your absentee uh, ballot uh, or, or um, early voting or whatever the case is? And you know what, what has been your experience in your community? Write us one more time, civildiscourse, tnss at gmail.com. I want to thank 
our engineer, our editor, our contributor, and occasional co-host, Keith Sedroyovi, who uh, really is the one who brings all this together. I mean, quite literally, he takes this track and that track, and he glues them together and puts them online. It's great. Um, and, uh, of course, the Lazarus Trio, who uh, has given of themselves to provide music to bring us in and out of the show every time, Carl Groves and the great Mike Conager. Um, and speaking of Mike Conager, hey, man, thank you. Thank you oh. for being you. <laughs> thank you for being you. I don't know what I did to deserve that. So. Well, you know, it just wouldn't be the show without you, man. And, 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 well, you- it would be... I don't know, civil, but there may not be any discourse. That's <laughs> so. true. It would be a uh, civil monologue. <laughs> so, no, no, thanks. Thanks again to our dear listener. We thank you, and we hope... Wait a minute, wait. Did you just say our dear listener? <laughs> listeners. <laughs> I was just talking to that one listener that... Now, of course, they're all that dear listener. But, yes, I'm personalizing it just to that one listener. Uh, three... We're, we're over 300 now, so... Uh, keep keep the growing, and, and we appreciate you, and we will talk with you soon. Take care, and happy holidays to you. Absolutely. Everybody.